brief disclaimer, there's some stronger-than-usual violence in the first part of today's episode. Please see the post on mythpodcast.com, linked in the show notes, for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's an epic game of rock-paper-scissors, or more accurately, frog-slug-snake. The creature this time is your island vacation that is apparently trying to eat you. This is Myths and Legends, episode 332, Frog and Slug Are Friends. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, we're back in the Edo period of Japanese history, though today's story doesn't super concern itself with dates or historical figures, so no worries. We'll jump in with a boy, walking through the forest with his samurai protector. Oh, and real quickly, this story, or a version of it, apparently went on to inspire aspects and plot lines in the anime Naruto. Full disclosure, I am going 100% off the folktale that was translated to English about 200 years ago. I have not seen Naruto at all, and any similarities or characters are completely from the public domain folktale. Jiraiya and the samurai were walking through the forest, back home. It wasn't Jiraiya's original home. He had been in a palace, or so he had been told. His memories from those times were suspect, probably constructed from stories he had been told by the man he called his father, until he was old enough to be corrected for doing so. That didn't stop him. Jiraiya had been the son of a daimyo, a lord. The daimyo's final order, to his most loyal retainer, was one that would last the rest of his life. Keep my son safe. The samurai would confide in Jiraiya in the years that followed that maybe, if he had been there, Jiraiya's father wouldn't have been cut down. Maybe that was why the samurai trained Jiraiya so hard, so that when the time came, he could defend himself. He put thoughts in Jiraiya's head. Dreams of reclaiming his father's title. But... Jiraiya didn't remember his father or his lands. At nine, Jiraiya's world was smaller, training and cutting wood with his samurai foster dad, selling their work at the market, and living deep in the forest, far from Jiraiya's past, so the boy could have a future. They had walked this path hundreds of times. They could pick their way through it in the dark if they needed to, without slowing down. It was still twilight, though, and they would be able to see enough to get home. So why was his samurai foster father stopping? It's too quiet, the retainer said. His thumb popped his sword free. Hide. No, Jiraiya called out. Oh, what was all that training for if not to... He didn't finish the sentence before the retainer's palm found his chest. While Jiraiya was still trying to force the air back into his lungs, the retainer kicked him into the grasses on the side of the road. He drew his sword as two men... Knives out, emerged from the forest. Assassins. One backed off with a slash across the chest. The other screamed when the samurai disarmed him. Literally. Jiraiya had almost caught his breath when he saw it. The third man. The assassins had been ready for this. He forced a cry out, and his retainer, the man who had been a father to him at his own father's orders, turned around in panic, 
with just enough time to catch a short sword in the ribs from the third man. The man with the slash on his chest, his shirt blooming red, set to work hacking away at the samurai, Jiraiya's foster father died looking at him. After the body dropped, Jiraiya rushed from the forest, shoving the third man and getting a dagger from the samurai's side. Jiraiya knew, he knew they were there for him, but he wouldn't make it easy. The three men looked at each other. I'm sorry, who are you? Jiraiya stood up straight. He was Jiraiya, son of Ogata. And who? The man with the slash across his chest asked. He turned to the other. Kill him? I'm, I'm not killing a kid, you kill him. The evident leader rolled his eyes and motioned to the man missing a hand. He kicked Jiraiya in the side, sending him sprawling back. They set in on the samurai. You're bandits? Really? Jiraiya cried out as the men rooted through the samurai's pocket. This guy's got nothing on him. I thought samurai were supposed to be rich. The men complained. This guy's a nothing. He was a nobody. Get a sword at least. We can sell that. By the look of him and the kid, no one's going to come looking for it. What do you want to do about the Tonto? The bandit was still putting pressure on his wrist, but he, but he gestured to Jiraiya. Do you want to try and take it from him? The bandit sneered. Let him keep it. He'll need it out here. More came after that. The first time Jiraiya awoke to men in his house, rooting through his possessions was a surprise. The next few times, he only had to tell them that he possessed nothing, and they were better off going to his neighbors. Jiraiya learned that his samurai protector had chosen this area because no one would come looking for them so far out in the wilderness. Only the three who had killed him were willing to risk everything against a trained samurai. It wasn't worth it. To work, only to have it all be taken from you by a knife in the night or squeezed by some protection racket. So Jiraiya stopped working. If he lived among outlaws, he might as well live like an outlaw. It started honorably, somewhat. He had learned from his samurai dad how to control his breathing and his sounds. He could slip in anywhere unnoticed. So he stole from people that stole from him. Until one day, he found a man sleeping on a mat by a fire in a cave. That man was wearing a sword he recognized. He looked around the cave of sleeping bandits. A half hour later, the bandit with the sword awoke to a slap in the face. Despite Jiraiya sitting on his chest, he still managed to raise the alarm. Oh, their eyes are already open. Look around. The bandit glanced around the room. Each and every one of his fellow bandits had been murdered in their beds. He squinted in the firelight. Y you? You did this? The bandit sat up on his mat after Jiraiya got off his chest. He, what did the kid want? Why was he still alive? Jiraiya said, I thought that the man who took the life of my foster father, he deserves a duel. Then Jiraiya's face grew cold. Then I thought, him, he's a nothing. He's nobody. So now, I just want to hear your screams. Jiraiya drew his foster father's sword, 
and the cries echoed from the cave. Why do I have to be the servant this time? The servant complained. The twenty-something Jiraiya looked back. They were approaching the gate. He needed to speak to his master like a servant, which meant not speaking at all. The man at the gate to the city stopped them. Jiraiya nodded to his retainer, who pulled out their identification. The man at the gate's jaw dropped, and he stepped aside for Jiraiya, the young lordling, his retainer, and their servant. When we get in, you do not steal anything, Jiraiya reminded his retainer. They said, but that's the point? They were bandits. They were doing this to steal stuff. No, we're doing this to learn what he has and where his guards are, Jiraiya chastised the men. Sometimes it was better to work alone. Still, when you worked alone, you couldn't pull off jobs like this. That was why he had joined the bandits in the first place. When he effectively wiped out their competition, the gang welcomed him in. He quickly rose until he was basically leading them. Now, they didn't rob travelers and risk losing everything to an overzealous guard. They pulled off carefully planned heists that netted them 100 times what they made on the road. They split up when they made it inside the daimyo's house. The servant went with the servant, the samurai with the samurai, and Jiraiya with the lord, who was more than happy to entertain the son of a rich merchant's talk of marrying his daughter. That sword, do you know the history of it? The daimyo asked Jiraiya. The image of his foster father being hacked down in front of him flashed in Jiraiya's eyes. No, sorry, what is it? Jiraiya held the sword and scabbard up. I heard it was recovered from some bandits to the west, and I, honestly, I just fell in love with the inlay. The daimyo said it once belonged to a retainer, of a dear friend of his, a good man, one cut down by monsters. Ogata, you're bored, the daimyo smiled at Jiraiya, staring off in the distance. Jiraiya looked away, hiding his eyes, hearing old men talk about other old men, I get it. Let's talk about my daughter. He clasped Jiraiya on the shoulder and walked deeper into the house. A good man. That's how the daimyo had described his father. That was what Jiraiya wasn't. Jiraiya sat on the hill outside the city, looking down at the lanterns glowing in the night. In his conversation that day with the daimyo, Jiraiya had led it back to Ogata, his father. He learned more about the day that his father died, things that even his samurai foster father hadn't known. He learned about serpent magic? Jiraiya was confident that it was nothing, the superstitions of powerful men. If a man with a fortress and dozens of warriors willing to die for him could fall, it had to be the work of demons. They, the rich men, were too powerful. Still, it made him think about his father. Here he was, pretending to be a lord, leading men, amassing all this. When he was a lord, he had already molded this gang into one that didn't need to cut the throats of travelers, but who stole from rich men, 
sometimes without them even realizing. An alarm went up in the city. That wasn't what would happen tonight, though. The daimyo made him think about his father. He didn't like to think about his father. Jiraiya's men would kill the samurai there and take everything. When his men returned from the city, riches in hand, they divvied things up. Jiraiya announced that they were splitting up. This had been a big target, but the remaining retainers couldn't chase them if they fled in every direction. Jiraiya told them that they all had their assignments, smaller jobs until they met up. Two months in the east, the men nodded, and then they evaporated into the night. Jiraiya, for all of his skill, was on the least promising road. Well, least promising when it came to riches. He saw the home glowing on the mountain and stepped inside the cave he had found. He reached past the silks of the lordling folded in his pack and found the robes of an ascetic, a pilgrim. This house was one that he had heard was special. A man living deep in the mountains. A rich man who mistook obscurity for security. They were just rumors, but worth looking into. The man was kind of right to be confident. A snowstorm hit not ten minutes out from the door. By the time Jiraiya made it, he was trudging through nearly two feet of snow, half frozen. He nearly fell through the door. He called out for help, and she answered. She was stunning, and not what Jiraiya expected at all. Jiraiya fell inside the warm home. Inside, it wasn't a shack, it was a manor. She smiled. She didn't get many visitors this far up in the mountains. And he looked cold. She took Jiraiya's traveling cloak. We'll see that this is totally normal and okay and not suspicious at all, but that will be right after this. It was too bad. Too bad she had to die. She was kind, she was generous, but she saw Jariah's face, and Jariah had to rob her. His position with the gang was tenuous, and if the leader didn't come back with something, the rest would smell blood. It was unfortunate, but so was life sometimes. Sidebar, I don't know why Jariah decided she had to die, it just says that it was because of his nature, which feels a little hand-wavy to me because though he steals and I did have him kill those bandits, it is a massive leap from bandits to a person who's just sitting, reading in her home after she took Jariah in and fed him. Anyway, Jariah, let's say he felt bad about it and quietly slid the sword from its scabbard as he slid the door open to the woman's room at midnight. She sat in the glow of the lantern light, Absorbed in a book, Jariah had been in this long enough to know that hesitation and uncertainty only created problems. You decide what to be, and you be it, even if it was a monster. The sword flashed and found the woman. It connected, but it also stayed. Without looking, the young woman had raised her arm and caught the blade. Jariah's arms shook as he put all of his weight against the woman's single hand. She still didn't look at him. I have lived in these mountains many hundreds of years, the woman said, her voice growing deeper with each word. 
Her skin became a slimy, reddish-brown on the arm that held the sword blade. Two of her fingers merged together, and circles popped out of the ends of them. The woman closed her fist, and Jiraiya's blade shattered in an instant. The shards sprinkled to the floor. In the reflection of one, Jiraiya stood there in shock, tears growing in his eyes. In the reflection of the next, he was gone, already closing the gap between himself and the woman. His tanto drawn, the woman exploded from her kimono. A slimy hand caught Jiraiya's neck, another slapped his hand, flinging the dagger away and sticking it into the wall. Jiraiya's body slammed on the wooden floor, and he found himself under the weight of the frog. Yield. The frog croaked? Jiraiya looked at his own clothes, covered in the slime, as the frog shrank back down. It didn't return to the form Jiraiya knew, but it took the form of an elderly man. He dressed in a nearby robe, and then he turned and found Jiraiya pinching the bits of steel off the floor, gathering his sword together. That blade belonged to the samurai who raised you. Your foster father, Senso Dojin said, cinching the robe, and you broke it. Jiraiya didn't look up. You needed it to break. You've been too long controlled by your past, the man said, bending down and helping to pick up the shards of steel. I left it behind, Jiraiya shook his head. Running from it is still letting it control you. You robbed that front of your father because thinking of your father, your biological and your foster father, caused you great pain. Jiraiya stopped gathering the sword. He couldn't just leave them behind, forget about them. Your past will always be there. You can run from it, become a bandit leader who is going to slaughter a young woman after she showed you hospitality, or you can turn and face it. Jiraiya looked up. What was the old man saying? I'm saying, go back. Become what you were always meant to be, what you were born to be. He took a deep breath. Jiraiya could stay here for the night providing he didn't try to kill his host again, in the morning, he could leave, return to his current path, or stay. But if he stayed, it would be as a student of magic. He would begin moving forward. Now, the host needed to rest. He hadn't showed anyone his true form in decades. When the elderly man rose the following day, he found the room clean. He found his pupil ready. He told Jiraiya that today, today he would begin to learn frog magic. Jiraiya stifled a laugh. Uh, frog magic? Sensei Dojin said, yes, that's what it was. It was incredibly powerful. Jiraiya would learn all the arts of the mountain spirits, how to control the wind and the rain. He could control frogs and have them do his bidding. He could even make them grow to enormous sizes and ride them. Jiraiya said, yes. All that sounded extremely cool. It did. The only thing about that was that it, I mean, frog magic? It just sounded, he'd be real, it sounded incredibly cheesy. Sensodojin nodded, yes. He could admit that. It did sound cheesy. Not as bad as snail magic, though. Jiraiya shrugged, okay. So, when did they start? 
Cue a montage of training, where Jiraiya did learn how to control the elements, control frogs, make them grow in size and fight for him. He also confronted the pain of his past, the pain of both his father and his foster father's murders, the fear he felt, alone in the forest, not sure what he should do or where he should go surrounded by murderers. Six months later, he stood in the manor. His training was complete. You will cease from robbing or injuring the poor. Your life is greater than that now. You will be an instrument of justice. Wait, avenging the deaths of my murder parents with an animal theme? Am I, am I Frogman? Jiraiya clenched a fist and stood up straighter. Seriously, Senso Dojin cocked his head. He had notes when it came to frog magic, but immediately jumps to Frogman? No, you just, you're you, but you control frogs. Jiraiya said, yeah, okay, he got carried away. The old man continued. He said that Jiraiya was to be justice. He would take from the wicked rich and those who acquired money dishonestly and give it to the needy and the suffering. With that, Senso Dojin relaxed. In a moment, Jiraiya was no longer in the manner he had called home for the last six months. He was standing on a lonely, windswept mountain. The giant frog in front of him nodded, then stopped. The frog said he knew. He knew that Jiraiya wanted to go avenge his father. But there was something else you should know. The serpent magic. The frog magic could not contend with it. Beware his poisons and his gaze. There was... There was another. And he would find her when the time came. Jiraiya furrowed his brow as his mentor hopped off. The ground rumbling with each jump. Her? What makes you think you can come back like nothing ever happened and then tell us we're done robbing? A former lieutenant demanded when, riding on a giant frog and flanked by two other humanoid frogs, Jiraiya made his triumphant return to the gang's hideout. The bandits sneered. Jiraiya didn't even have a weapon. He swaggered toward Jiraiya, sword bared. He would make it clear in no uncertain terms what he thought of Jiraiya's changes. The bandit raised his sword and caught a frog flipper in the stomach. He doubled over on the ground. Ribbit? The giant frog at Jiraiya's side asked. Yeah, like five out of ten, medium style, Jiraiya said. Ribbit, ribbit, the frog asked. The other one leaned in close. I mean, I need to send a message to the rest, but nothing permanent. Thanks for checking, though, Jiraiya said. And the two frogs closed in on the bandit attacker and started just laying into him. The beating was more showy than punishing, but it was still a beating. And it had the intended effect. In a day, Jiraiya transformed the bandit troop. Anytime a farmer's crops failed and his landlord came to exact punishment and seize his land, dragging him and his family into the street and beating them, he found giant anthropomorphic frogs ready to hit his goons with a 7 out of 10 in the street for all to see. This only happened a few times, until the dishonest and greedy began to fear the giant frog-riding Jiraiya, the young man they called Young Thunder, because evil would never know when he would strike. But when he did strike, 
it was devastating. Chiraev had to admit that Young Thunder was better than Frogman. Everyone was surprised, then, when Jiraiya himself submitted to the authorities. A merchant had been framed for a robbery by another merchant. After that man mysteriously disappeared, Jiraiya arrived at the magistrate's house, presenting himself. He did it. He committed the robbery the merchant was accused of, and except that he would be hanged for it in the morning. Having a confession and Jiraiya, young thunder, the magistrate was more than happy to let the falsely accused merchant go. The next day, Jiraiya was hanged on the large oak tree just outside of town. A guard stayed with the body until dawn, waiting to confirm that Jiraiya, young thunder, was really gone. When the guard left, Jiraiya emerged from the bushes. All right, coast is clear. The Jiraiya hanging from the tree shrank and dropped to the ground. It was a bullfrog the whole time. Ribbit, ribbit. Well, you guys have thick necks. I thought you would be fine, Jiraiya explained. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. You don't? Why didn't you say something when we were talking over the plan? Ribbit, ribbit. Well, I don't know everything about frogs. It's a conversation. You're okay, though, right? Yeah? Good, we can talk about this when we get back to the hideout. We're kind of exposed out here. When they did get back to the hideout, they found said hideout wide open. The doors had been torn off their hinges. There was slime everywhere. Someone had subdued his entire gang. Jiraiya whistled, and two shapes took form behind him. He told the frogs to go find out what was happening and help everyone who was still alive. But they didn't move. He turned, saying that he said to, but they weren't his frogs. They were giant slugs, and they attacked. We'll see what happens when slug magic meets frog magic, but that will, once again, be right after this. Three months earlier, Tsunade walked the forest, gathering wood for her mother and father. She had always known, somehow, that she was meant for more. She was waiting for the day when she would see the path toward her grand destiny. Waiting for him. Him, it turned out, was a shirtless old man in the forest. His white beard continually dusted his belly, and he smiled a half-toothless grin at Tsunade. She reached in her collection of wood and found a cudgel she carried for situations like this, but it wasn't there. In its place, only slime. She looked, and a dozen slugs were carrying the hardened, knobby piece of wood away at great speed. Well, I mean, great speed for a slug. It was like a few inches a minute, so she just leaned down and picked it up. When she did, he was there. She didn't know how he closed the gap between them so quickly, and she didn't need to. She raised her cudgel and struck him, and it bounced off him without incident. She hit him again, as hard as she could, and again, it bounced. Again and again, it was like the skin beneath the blow transformed to be springy, slimy, and gray in an instant. Our 
Are you finished? The old man grinned. Tsunade pulled her axe from her belt. She was prepared to do anything to stop him. He froed his eyebrows. Stop him from... Stop him from... Giving her super slug powers? Then his eyes widened. Oh, no, no, no. Gross. What kind of man did she think he was? The kind who sidles up next to young women uninvited in the forest? Tsunade asked. He said, okay, yeah, sorry about that. She waved him off. Don't worry about it, but back to the elephant, or giant slug in the room, she said as the slugs on the ground grew and slimed their way up to their boss. Super slug powers? And yeah, super slug powers. That would be a lot harder to swallow if we didn't just see a guy get super frog powers. The slug powers seemed pretty similar. If you're wondering, why her? Well, I am too. There's probably something we can read into, with Jiraiya getting an epic redemption arc, getting his powers from trying to kill the magic frog and avenge his family, while Tsunade got her magic slug powers because, and the story says this directly, she was a lovely girl and an obedient daughter. So, I fought crime, like you, Tsunade said, back in the present, with Jiraiya subdued on the floor. Then I heard of young thunder. I was a little more discreet because I have a home and a loving family. Tsunade looked around. Oh yeah, sorry about the hideout. She just knocked the bandits out, though head trauma can be pretty serious in and of itself. Jiraiya struggled against the slime rope. He tried to call up the elements to help him, but she must have been blocking him because nothing was working. But why did she attack? Tsunade said, well... If he was familiar with how things went, frogs beat slugs. She needed the element of surprise, or else he would have stopped her from getting close. Jiraiya said that that didn't answer his question. She said she was building to it. Frogs beat slugs. Snakes beat frogs. But slugs beat snakes. Jiraiya grew serious. Snakes. Yes. Dragon coil. Orochimaru, Tsunade said. Tsunade explained that, in the years since he had sowed chaos during the Civil War, Jiraiya didn't mention that it was the Civil War that claimed the life of his father. Anyway, in the years since, Orochimaru had only grown in power. He was born the son of a serpent who lived at the bottom of a lake, but he used his mother's serpent magic to aid the worst rulers at that time. Now, they were at risk of consuming all of Japan. The clan who had risen to power after Jiraiya's father was murdered had allied with Orochimaru. They wanted power. He wanted death. To consume everything in fire and suffering. And they were spreading, Tsunade explained, waving her hands. The slime rope transformed into just slime, and Jiraiya grimaced. Ew. He was free, and the slugs that had overwhelmed his hideout backed off. Tsunade offered her hand. Jiraiya rose. As they planned, the young people grew close. Very close. It wasn't long before Jiraiya sent message to Tsunade's parents, asking for her hand in marriage. They agreed. Jiraiya and Tsunade were married. In time, they pushed back at the snake, and since slug magic beat snake magic, especially with frog magic by her side, they were successful. It was their own marriage, though, that gave them an idea for how to draw Orochimaru out. And soon, the scouts came back with a name, Princess Tagoto. 
Yes, I know he's in love with me, the princess said, pacing, unable to ignore the presence of these slug and frog bodyguards. So many of her guards had died getting her out of there. He went full Voldemort, having a giant snake just tear through the samurai. He took so much pleasure in destroying them that she was able to escape. She knew it was just a matter of time until he came for her, and now they wanted her to be bait? Tsunade and Jiraiya looked to each other. Well, I mean, bait makes it sound really bad. They wanted her to just live as she was going to live anyway, with them waiting for her to provoke Orochimaru's arrival, so they could use the opportunity to attack him, so... So that's just using me as bait, but with more words. She looked to the horizon. Every morning, she feared the silhouette of a snake, surrounded by samurai coming for her. If this would help, she would do it. Were they sure they could defeat him? Slug beat snake, remember? Tsunade smiled. Princess Togoto breathed. Okay, she would do it. She would be their bait. Well, they're dead, the physician said when he rose from the bodies of Tsunade and Jiraiya. They were expecting an attack. They weren't expecting poison to flood in from the roof at night. The house was now littered with dead slugs and frogs and accompanying them were the bodies of Tsunade and Jiraiya. Wait, they, they're dead? Rikimatsu said. The doctor looked at the teenager two things. Uh, one, who are you? And two, yes, uh, basically. They're still alive, but they've been severely poisoned. They have hours left before their bodies begin to shut down. The only anti-venom is in India, far to the west. Rikimatsu said, who, who is he? He is Rikimatsu, Tengu boy. With that, wings sprouted and his nose began to grow. I'm sorry, what? Tengu boy? The physician said. Rikimatsu slowly returned to normal. Yeah, Tengu boy, he was still workshopping the name. It's not like official, but yeah. Jiraiya saved his father's life when his father had been falsely accused of a crime and was going to hang. Rikimatsu ran out into the forest in tears and was consoled by Tengu the bird-like spirits or creatures that are seen as protectors in Shintoism, and sometimes demons in Buddhism. Over time, they granted him their powers, so he could turn into one at will. He came back to serve the one who had done so much for his family. The physician and the samurai around him said, oh, okay, that was a lot and probably not a great use of the precious time they had. Oh yeah, anti-venom, Tengu boy shouted. His skin turned red, his nose grew, and his wings unfurled. He took flight. Tengu boy saved you, the physician said to Jiraiya when he blinked awake. T Tengu boy? Yeah, he has the power of a Tengu. This happened when the physician started, but noticed Jiraiya looking at his wife. Tsunade, why wasn't she waking up? The physician looked to the ground. None of the bandits would meet Jiraiya's gaze. It didn't work. Jiraiya cocked his head, what, like, 
what do they mean? It didn't work. The anti-venom, it didn't work for her. Something about her was different, special. It could be the slug powers they didn't know. He said that that didn't make sense. Try it again. The physician said they had. They used it up. It, they were out, and they didn't have another ten hours to fly to India. She, she was gone. Jariah couldn't hear his bandits consoling him, or the monks saying that they had done all they could. He only felt rage. Rochimaru had taken his father. He made them hide out among murderers, and so Jiraiya had lost his foster father. Now, Tsunade, the love of his life. Jiraiya rose and walked out of the house. He called out, and frogs by the hundreds, thousands, met him, growing in size. Jiraiya leapt atop the largest frog and knew where to go. Rochimaru's castle. One way or another, it would end that night. Giant dead frogs and snakes littered the battlefield. Also people. Jiraiya's bandits hadn't arrived yet on horseback, so it was all Orochimaru's retainers that littered the battlefield alongside the snakes. Jiraiya stood atop the giant frog he rode, sword drawn, slashing out at all the snakes that crawled up the side. Then, a shadow. The giant frog stopped thrashing about the battlefield. It became still looked up into the eyes of the massive snake. It was transfixed. The reason why snakes won against frogs was because the frogs, when they locked eyes with the reptiles, were frozen in place. Jiraiya tried to rouse the frog from its stupor, but it wouldn't respond. He dove away before the massive serpent struck, biting and twisting around the frog. Jiraiya struggled to his knees. His arm and at least one rib was broken, but those weren't his biggest problems. Orochimaru, followed by nearly a hundred snakes, walked up. He had to say, it was impressive. More impressive than Jiraiya's father, but Jiraiya would still fall. After all, snake beats frog. Jiraiya closed his eyes. He would die, but in that there would be a rest from a life spent fighting. He just hoped he would see Tsunade again. What? You're dead, Orochimaru said. Jiraiya opened his eyes just in time to see the wave of gray slime overtake the enemy army. He looked up to Tsunade atop a massive slug. Slug beats snake, she said, and her slug's head came down hard crushing Orochimaru in one blow. Tsunade walked down the head as Jiraiya struggled to his feet. Tsunade called out for her slugs to go save Princess Togoto. If any snakes still remained in the palace, she turned to her husband and said that she was sorry. She, she had to. She had to find a way to make Orochimaru think she was dead, to goad him into attacking in his arrogance, to draw him out. She let him, Orochimaru, keep some spies in their camp. And the physician, well, he was an actor. And she knew that Tengu boy could make it to India. Jiraiya told her to stop. He didn't care. She was alive. That was what mattered. 
When Jiraiya limped off that battlefield, having saved Japan, it would be his last. The young man who had been chased by knives since he was an infant, who had spent his life fighting, put up his swords and retired the frog magic. He assumed his father's former role as daimyo and, through his governance, achieved a peace greater than his frog power could have ever wrought. He never fought again, and it's said that he died hand in hand with his beloved, Tsunade, surrounded by his children and grandchildren. It was one warm summer evening, listening to the frogs sing out in the darkness. Full disclosure, I added the somewhat tropey twist at the end, with Tsunade faking her death to catch Orochimaru off guard. The version I read for this literally just said, and this is almost a direct quote, that the couple got well, war broke out, and in a great battle, Dragon Quill was killed. To me, that was deeply unsatisfying, so I added a bit to the how and not the what that happened. This is only one version of the story, but it appears to be the only one in English. I have found some summaries of a different version, but I'm less inclined to trust those. I posted the version I used on the site if you're interested. As we mentioned, Slug Snake Frog is basically rock, paper, scissors. I link to an explanation. To me, Slug feels like the paper of this particular game. You know what I mean. Others apparently felt the same way, and in some versions of the game, not the folktale, Slug is replaced with Centipede, because Centipede, apparently, burrows into snakes' brains, if you were looking for a significantly more metal version of rock, paper, scissors. The creatures this week are the Jasconius, and friends, from kind of everywhere. The year, 400-something AD. The place, the Celtic Sea. St. Brendan the Navigator, St. Brendan the Voyager, which is kind of the same as Navigator, St. Brendan the Anchorite, or St. Brendan the Bold, is on a trip to find the Garden of Eden. Possibly worried that the unexpected island ahead of them would undercut his epithet of Brendan the Navigator, St. Brendan told his monks that they would stop there for the night. And also, it was Easter, so extra long mass in the morning. Fun times. And it was. They enjoyed their respite on the island, celebrated Easter, and then decided, you know what would be even more fun? Catching this place on fire. At least, that's what Jasconius thought was happening, the whale that made up the island on which they celebrated. It began sinking as soon as the fire was built to cook the food, diving to put out the fire. Everyone made it off alive, and they went on to find the Island of the Blessed, after seven years of sailing. I honestly don't know how you sail for seven years around the same coastlines, but they found it, an island covered in vegetation that was apparently very nice. You might be saying, we've seen this before, and you'd be right. We have seen it before with Sinbad, but in my research for this, I found this creature all over the world. The saga of Arrow Odd has one, the Roman historians had one, the ancient Greeks there's mentioned in Jewish legend, they are seemingly all over. The monks, it seems, were lucky. Maybe it was because it was Easter, but the Jasconius is apparently predatory, lying in wait for people to land on it, before, alerted to their presence by fire, sinking and eating them. In the meantime, though, it eats its own tail. Basically, if you land on an uncharted moving island and 
It's devoid of smoke monsters and polar bears. Just don't light any fires or probably dig. And hey, free island. That's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.